Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. My name is Joachim Eriksson, and I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water. And things aren't going so good, you know? Things are going... It's going bad, huh? It's going bad, huh? Yeah, it's going bad. It's not going good. I don't feel very good. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about it. And and first of all, I think I have to let go of a lot of things. I have to let go of the idea that this would that this podcast would be like entertaining in any way or like this would be some kind of like content but this is really has to go back to i just need to like check in with myself and um i think part of the a part of my problem that i'm thinking about a lot recently is like there's this sort of crushing weight to it all and I think it's giving me new information about like a coping mechanism that I've always ended up with that's like really self-destructive in the long term. And it's that I have this thing whenever I stay in one place for a long time, I I have such I'm this is so hard to explain because I understand myself so poorly and I was trying to explain this part of this to Doug today and it's like as I was saying it I was like, "Wow. The way I'm saying it, I'm listening to what I'm saying." And I'm like just noticing that none of it really makes that much sense. And then he's trying to respond to it. And I'm listening to what he's saying. And I'm really thinking about it. And I'm like, no, what he's saying isn't it. Like he's trying to be like, so do you mean like, because what I was saying is that I have an avoidant personality disorder thing, which plays in where like, if I go to a grocery store and I have like a kind of extended conversation with the cashier, now it's over. Like now that person... Now I am a visible, oh, okay. Now I'm, this is, I'm coming up with some better answers now. Now I'm a, a visible object to that person. Now I'm not just a faceless automaton in the crowd. Now we have become visible objects to each other where we, you see, you look and you see a stranger, you see a stranger, you see a stranger, and then you see that cashier that you now recognize because you had an extended conversation with them once and some jokes that landed real well and you kind of connected. Now it's over. So now if I go into the grocery store and I see that cashier, I have to leave. I just immediately have to leave. And Doug was like, so is that about how now they know too much about you or something? And I'm like, no, it's not that. But what it is is that I need to just, it's like an introvert thing where I need to just be invisible. I need to just be in line in the grocery store and I need to put my things on the belt and I need to just ask, hey, how's how's your day going? And they're, they go, Oh, pretty swell. And then they go, yep. And then I go, yep. And then we kind of stand there and I kind of like pretend to look in my wallet for like the full 17 seconds that it takes for them to ring up all my items. And then I swipe my Safeway card and then I put my uh, credit card in, the one that has like 2% cash back on grocery stores, my Bank of America one, not my Chase one. You feel me? And then it's approved and then I bag up my stuff and I'm like, have a good one. And then I leave and I get to be invisible for the entirety of that thing. But if I've had an extended conversation with them, they will now see me as a person and now I'm no longer invisible. And there's something like there's some weakness to me. There's some weakness where I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't be a viewable object for that long. And when I go into work, it is a pact. 
it is a a lot of things work like a muscle like the metaphor of a physical muscle like your bicep applies to a lot of things in the brain for me like i really um like procrastination and stuff like decision fatigue like when i'm in a headspace of work like i've been in periods year long periods of my life where i've been sort of like working from home and just plugging away at something and very few decisions have to be made and then when i the three or four times a day that i have to make a decision in my private or professional life it's like a big thing for me that i'm like i should decide on this tomorrow and then when you get into a new situation and you're pushed to like okay today you're making six decisions and then if you do that every day you can do six every day but then like when you end up yeah i don't know the the metaphor what i'm coming up with is like in my current role it's just a bunch of micro decisions people just aren't sure about stuff so they come at me and they're just like and four people will be asking me questions at the same time and i just have to be like you it's five you uh go downstairs with that thing you uh, go grab that, put that together, build that over there, go over there. And it's just like micro decisions, just rapid fire. It's just a Gatling gun of ma- micro decisions. And I do that for hours of just like being in this modality of being very sort of goal oriented, of trying to have a, a flow of an entire like economic animal, just sort of like money needs to be flowing properly and guest experience needs to be good. And it's just like micro decision, micro decision, micro decision. And I'm just the whole time. And then when I come home, I'll literally look in my fridge and there will be like two different things to eat and I'm starving and I look at them and I just like close the fridge and I just sit down on the couch and I just look up into the ceiling and I'm like, I don't know. I can't, I literally can't make another decision today. Like I cannot make one more decision. And I end up doing these super weird acts of procrastination about like i'll i'll go home after work after just um 10 straight hours of micro decisions and i'll go home and i'll be like i got i gotta buy a rug like i just i got this flooring and it's like i really like not having carpeting because it's you can keep it way cleaner but then for a part of it it's like there's a couch and there's like an ottoman and there's like a table and it's like it's like the chill living room area and it would be really nice if that had a rug. So I'll come home and I'll like f- search for rugs and I'll see all these ones I like. And then I see eight of them and I'm like, it's so, like, not only do I not make a decision, I like marvel at my interior. I marvel at how far away from a decision I am. I'll like sit and look at the eight rugs that I, all eight of them I like. I'll pick out eight that I like and then I'll just sit there and be like, I'm realizing as I'm looking at these that this is going to take me like a month and a half before I can make a decision on this because, and then I'll be like, is it because the internet is, the internet has like a a thing of being like one of the ways of the paradox of choice and like decision fatigue with the internet. It's like you find something that's so fucking cool, but with the internet, you can always ask yourself, maybe this exists, but it's like just in a way that I cannot conceive of right now, maybe this thing exists, this cool thing I'm looking at, in a just slightly cooler version. Like maybe there's a slightly more colorful version or a slightly more minimalist version or a slightly more out of the box. It, like, And I'll spend like six months trying to buy a backpack. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, 
haven't bought a rug on the internet, but I made a hundred decisions today at work. That's where I'm at. And then so I'm saying that's a metaphor of like how you use a muscle a lot and then the muscle gets tired. But if you use it a lot, you can use it more, but it still gets tired. And then there's something about the being social that's similar, where it's like when I go into work, it's a decision for me to just exist in a modality of being social and having an answer and responding when people speak and just speaking constantly. And then when I come home, that is so, that muscle of being spoken to and speaking and expecting something from my own speech is, it's so interesting because speech is such a weird word because now I'm podcasting, which is like, it sounds like that's the same thing, but it's not. It's like the act of responding is the hard part. But, um, but all of these things, like all of these things attack the same fear in me of like going to the grocery store and having to face a cashier that I have at one time, at, at one point had an extended conversation with means that I become a viewable object. And there's something about staying in the same place for a long time that, um, makes it, and this is largely imagined. I'm going to describe it now, and I'm going to describe it the fictional version as if this is true, but this is not true. This is what it feels like. It feels like I exist in this workplace, and now I've worked in the same place for like more than two years. And throughout those two years, you know, at any one point, we have like 50 people working in there, and people come in and people come out, you know? People leave peacefully, and quite a few people leave not peacefully. And at every point have there been people that have left not peacefully. People, you know, different ways. But so the thing is that there is a big backlog at this point of less than peaceful people that I have known, people that I've spent time with. That, oh, wow, okay, I'm, re- I'm getting closer to understanding it now. There's something about, because they once saw me, and because we once, like, if, if it was just that, oh, it's about, it's really not about me being in trouble or having done something wrong or anything like that. Because if I had done something wrong and created, like, a huge problem and someone leaves or gets themselves fired or gets fired in an angry big way and they hate me, but I've never really interacted with them, but they know that it was, like, I created a problem or I did it or, like, some big thing like that, anything like that doesn't bother me at all because they've if they've never seen me, if we've never really spoken if if we've never really broken bread and shared intimacy but it is because there are so many people with whom i have stood shoulder to shoulder for such long periods that i feel like they now see me and there's some there's like an eternity to the seeing like where i feel like and this really oh god this is so fucking abstract and nonsensical but but it's something about my entire life where like for some reason the people I went to third grade with, I went to third grade with some people. And we are the same age because we were all in third grade at the same point. And because we we got to really know each other because we spent a lot of time together and I opened up and they spoke and I spoke and we saw each other and we heard each other. For some reason, I feel like they can at any point 
see me. And it can feel like this has something to do with social media, where it's like you remain a viewable object to people from 25 years ago in a weird way. But in a way, it's also not. It, in a way, it's also just imagined and just not true. Where like I can, I can feel like they can see through the earth because they're in Sweden and to, to look towards America is probably to look downward largely. So looking diagonally downward through the earth, through the walls and through the floor and through the ceiling and through everything I have here, through my curtains, and they can see me, those people. Even if they can't see me, I feel like they can see me. And then all the people that I have ever worked with in a place that had a less than peaceful departure, I feel like they can at any point just see me. And I feel like they all hate me. Anyone that I have been felt close to that I don't speak to any longer, that yeah, pretty much end of sentence. It doesn't really have to do anything with work. The, the only reason I'm bringing this up in the context of work is because I really don't have a life outside of work. So it just happens that like um, most of these people are, I mean, okay, there's two things. There's work and there's dating apps. You feel me? It's like dystopia town, you know? <laughs> Modern dystopia. There's two, there's two parts to life. There's, there's work and there's dating apps. I mean, is there a single person? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Is there a single person in my world outside of that? Sort of. All the people I, all the people I, yeah. I lost them all, though. I tried, I tried to have them, but I lost them. But, you know, Javi. Javi is someone, yeah. But um, anyway, what I was going to say is like, I feel like they can all see me and I feel like they can all hate me. Or like, I feel like they all hate me. And um, for some reason, the only thing that feels like a remedy is to leave. And so in the past, I've always, and it, it's interesting, AA is very interesting because AA teaches you a lot of shorthand because there's um, just these expressions for kind of complicated things that happen in you. Things that when you go through them, they feel complicated, but then... Um, when you're when you're in AA and you talk about it, people just refer to it with shorthand. So in this example, for example, it's like when I was like 19, I moved. Um, I just had this desire to leave everything, and I left Sweden and I moved to China. And then I tried to be there, and I was there for like three years. And then I moved back to Sweden, and then I was in Sweden for like six months, and then I moved to China to Beijing. And then I, after six months, I you know, kind of got thrown out and I left again and then I'm back in Sweden. And so I keep leave. I keep um, building up this weird desire to leave everything. And I do that like eight times. Like I moved to a new country. I have moved to a new country probably 10 times. Um, and in China, I moved between different cities and it's always like I have, I'm going to a city and I have nothing that waiting for me there. I just, it's just the promise of new of something new. And what that really is, is like, I'm running away from something. And so that can feel really complicated and hard to understand yourself kind of on the inside. But then you go to AA and you talk about it and people are like, oh yeah, it's called pulling a geographic. You're just pulling a geographic. And then when you've learned that, you're like, oh, what I was doing was not complicated. It was actually simple. 
And then that happens with a lot of stuff. You do something and you don't really understand it. And then people give you a shorthand for it. And then you're like, oh, that's what I was doing. I was just doing that thing. Um, and it's like true and not true that it's universal. But it's like, or no, it's true that it's universal. But it's not completely true that it's that helpful to um, have a shorthand for it. Because in a way, you have to, in the end, get to like, what the fuck is going on, though? Like, you have to really get down to the weird details of it and be like, what the hell is wrong with you that's making you do this fucking weird shit? And the shorthand can become a thing that masks it, though, because it's like, it easily turns into this thing where, like, like the word anxiety, for example, like, or panic attack, like, the way it feels to be anxious, just because we have a word for it and because someone can formulate the sentence well, hey, just stop being anxious. There's nothing to be anxious about. Everything's fine. Or just because someone can say the sentence, hey, you're having a panic attack. Just stop ha having a panic attack. Just because those worms, words are formable doesn't really give them all that much utility. Like it doesn't really remove your anxiety just because we have a label for it, like a very simplistic label. So... um. I'm realizing that this thing of, of the longer I stay in a place, the more of a backlog of people there are. And I feel like all of those people can see me. And the only way to become invisible again is to leave. And you have to leave pretty far. Like you have to kind of go pretty far. And I think, like, part of this is a little bit healthy and human and universal, that, like, a fresh start is not just the move of an alcoholic. Like, a fresh start can be a thing. Like, if you have a lot of bad experiences, like validly, objectively bad experiences in a place, and then, like, someone offers you a good new life kind of far away from that place where you had bad experiences, I think it can be incredibly healthy and very harmonious and very normal and, and well-adapted to say, yeah, I'm going to move far away and do a fresh start. But honestly, that's probably kind of rare because probably much more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a healthy person can probably realize that in the end, being in a place is more, if you are moderately sort of well-adjusted, which is probably the word I was thinking of, well-adjusted. If you're just a little bit well-adjusted, being in a place for a few years, you're probably doing more building than destroying. Like you're probably making more positive connections than negative connections. And, you know, I'm certain that that's the case for me. Like, if I wasn't such a stuck-on negative, only seeing the glasses half empty, only ruminating on all the people who might hate me, who probably don't even remember me, is the truth. Like, <clears throat> there's so much narcissism involved in thinking that, like, someone from, you know, 18 months ago who... I worked with for a while and who was like deeply troubled and who kind of like stopped showing up to work. The idea that they are thinking of me and that they can see me, that they are looking towards me and that they can see through all these walls um, and that they are looking at me and judging me and disliking me 
is probably not completely true. Like x-ray vision judgment is probably not reality. And regardless, there's probably way more people that have just, that I had a little positive interaction with that sort of, I've built a little bit of a bridge with. There's probably, I mean, rationally, there's probably like 90 times as many bridges built as, you know, battles or like enemies made, you know, whatever that ratio is. And it's just so interesting because like, even if you're a psychopath and you're um, just an asshole and you just make hella enemies, it's all about attitude. If you just pretend like your enemies don't exist and you just like forge ahead, you're going to be successful as fuck. And then if you're this like sensitive little puddle boy like me, just this fucking piece of shit use, like really maladaptive, really just like seven different sort of malfunctioning coping mechanisms clicking into each other, into this like weird Lego set of coping coping mechanisms that's just like a Jenga tower of, you know, very, very frail sobriety. It's incredible how bad I'm doing and that I'm still sober. It's like... So strange, actually. I think about it a lot. Just drinking. Just drinking. And then little things keep me sober. Like, I've told everyone in my life that I don't drink, so I can't drink in front of them. And I don't have any alcohol at my house, and I'm going to get in a car after this. And I've never driven drunk because I got a driver's license years into my sobriety. So I'm, like, convinced that if I have two drinks and get in a car, it's like, that won't work. You feel me? So here we are, sober. Yeah, I don't know. It's like history. I can't deal with history. I cannot live my life having any history. I am too weak for it. And so I always have to leave and be in a place where I have no history. And if anyone asks me about anything that happened more than three weeks ago, because three weeks ago is when I moved here, you know? If anyone, like, that's the only time I'm relaxed when I moved to a place three weeks ago. And then whenever people ask, like, hey, so um, what about this thing that happened before three weeks ago when you moved here? I get to have control of the narrative and I get to be like, yeah, it was like this. And then I can come up with these, like, entertaining ways of talking about it because it's just, it's not social. It's, it's not like the other members of that history are not, they don't exist in the, in this universe. <sighs> so, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is that, like, I really want to move. And then so much of alcoholism is about how you want something and you want it for the wrong reason. And then you sit and negotiate with yourself and try to make up Try to convince yourself that there's a good reason and try to pretend like it's not for the bad reason. Like that is so much of what alcoholism is, all alcoholic decision making. Because like you want to do something and it'll like destroy your whole family and your whole life. And you want to do it just because you want to do it because you want to get wasted. But then you come up with this reason where it's like, oh, no. I have to like drink this thing to be like funny with this guy to, otherwise he won't think I'm funny. And if I'm not funny, it's like, and you just come up with this like weird, complicated, uh, 
Rube Goldberg machine of logic of why it's actually a good thing for your entire life that you're getting wasted. And then so for me, it's like my coping mechanism is to just run away and I don't want to be here and I'm so held down. I'm so like collapsing under the pressure of the history. And it's not even that much history. I've lived in California for less than three years, right? Is that right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I've lived in California for like less than three years and I've worked in I've worked in one place for like a little bit more than two years and through those two years, like each few months builds up a new just level of weight and pressure. And I don't know how much of it I can handle. And I just feel like I have to run away. And then that's the truth. What I just said is the truth. But what I'm telling myself is like this thing of like, oh, yeah, so like I need to like build a good LinkedIn profile and then I need to like acquire all these skills and like learn how to manage a team and stuff. And then I need to like get good experience and stuff. And then I need to just like get on the radar of a couple of recruiters and I need to like um, get like a better job in like a big city um, because there's no one I'm trying to, I'm trying to like find someone to maybe go on a date with and stuff. And I can't find them in like a little city as if I could find them in a big city. You feel me? And then it's just so like, I have this like really glib superficial narrative for myself of why it'd be really good for me to move. And then, yeah, I just visualize myself taking like the only stuff that like a few things that I care about, which is like, it's, it's weird to be someone that always has to move somewhere new, but you're also a hoarder. <laughs> That's me. That's why it's such a weird Lego. That's why it's such a weird Lego tower. It's such an uneven precarious Lego tower of coping mechanisms that click into each other. Cause it's like, I have these enormous big plastic tubs that fit like, you know, 200 folders. Each folder fits like a bunch of just sheets of printer paper. And I just have like so many documents, just like tubs after tubs after tubs of big plastic tubs of documents that I feel like, like I never look at them, but I just had this like intense desire to keep them forever. And yeah, and like whatever scrap piece of paper ends up in my car, I like have to put it in an, in a manila envelope and then take the marker out and like label the month and then put it in a big plastic tub and then save those plastic tubs forever. And it's like every scrap paper from like, oh yeah, I was in Mere Woods a year and a half ago and like I kept the ticket stub, you know? Take that and multiply it by, you know, 140,000. And you just end up with like, oh, yeah, I was in China like 13 years ago. And some homeless guy on the street gave me a flyer. And it was like about how you can donate your placenta. And I'm like, okay, scrapbooking, scrapbooking. Like, is it, you know? And then I don't even know that one. I can't even scratch the surface of why I'm a hoarder. Like, it's uh, I haven't gotten anywhere trying to understand that one. But, but the superficial narrative that I come up with for myself of like why it needs to happen is just scrapbooking, you know, because it's like cutesy. It's cutesy scrapbooking to just have, you know, most of your living space be full of big plastic tubs of uh, 
scrap pieces of paper. So I'm just visualizing myself filling up my the bed of my truck with just like all just the stuff I need, which is like, okay, sort of the bare bones of my the clothes that I own, maybe two pots of plant, some plants, my computer, and then lots and lots of big plastic um, click-on lid containers of documents. And just going to a new place and starting over and being invisible. Okay, let me sit and sit with the feeling of it for a second. Why is it, let me just meditate on how good that would feel to just leave all of this. Because like, dude, the layers, the layers of bad right now, the layers of heavy pressure. And then imagine just putting, oh, hold on. I can't even like, I'm even, I'm like afraid of imagining it it, because it's so powerfully pleasant pleasurable for me to even think about it (sighs) putting everything in the truck and then this one imagine not telling anyone that i'm moving that's like the gold star version that i've never actually done but it's like it's the dream you know that's the true kink that's the true fantasy that's my kink leaving and and not telling people where i'm going and just being like you know, coming up with something about like, yeah, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be at that guy's, I'm going to be at that guy's house for three weeks, you know, I'll be back. And then you just take everything and you put it in the truck and then you just drive down to some little California beach town with good phone reception and you just pull your laptop out and you just like hit Starbucks, but you don't do the drive-through, you park and you walk in with your laptop and you open it up and you go on Craigslist and you're like, apartments, uh, one bedroom. And you just like, get a new one bedroom apartment. And then you're like, oh, just like being a server, dude. What's better than just being like, just slinging pho in a saloon, you know? And having no history. I could even drink. Because people around me wouldn't know that I don't drink. I wouldn't be there yet. I wouldn't be in the place yet where I've told everyone around me that I don't drink. (sighs) I could just do anything. (sighs) And I could just like sit in a little beach town. It's such a like weird uh, toxic masculinity trait. There's some weird toxic masculinity thing about it where like, for me, an icon of toxic masculinity is James Bond. James Bond is like a very interesting character just in terms of like embarrassing traits because it's a very weird, like so many of the Bond movies, especially the later ones are the more recent ones are like, it's about where like it starts with him having sort of like he's a recluse now. Like what is it to be a recluse? Like it that is what it is, huh? It's just like god. Oh god. That's the thing, man. My dad spent like he's more my dad is more out in the world now, but like there was a 25 year period. Is it over? I don't know. I don't know that it's over. I think it's probably not over, but for like 25 years, my dad's been not in the world, you know? He's just been in his apartment, and it's just what he wanted. He just, 
for some reason for him, it didn't play out in the sense of, I want to pull away from the world by leaving and going somewhere new. That's not how it went for him. The way it went for him was like, I'm just going to quit this job and just sit in my apartment. And I'm going to call 911 and see if I can tell them that I'm crazy and see if the government will give me some money. And I'm just going to sit in my apartment and I can't do it anymore. The weight of it all is too much. And that's like, I understand why he did that. That is how I feel. And for me, it's more about going to a new place and it's a little bit less about asking the government for money and it's a little bit more about just trying to make money to find the right crypto that will pop so that I can just never talk to anyone again and never make a single decision again and so that I can just sit on like a dimly lit beach somewhere where like the sun is up, but there's like a darkness to it where all objects, there's like a blackness to eat to every object. And the, uh, the objects sort of absorb all the light. So you sit under like a little canopy and like the sun is, it's not, it's daytime, but it's dark. Like the midday darkness is a big thing in my psyche. Like I really need midday darkness. Because like nighttime is like I'm already sad enough. Like I can't handle nighttime. Nighttime is never where I'm good, actually. But I need darkness. But what I need is midday darkness. And what I need is just enough money to just be able to sit alone in the midday darkness. And that might be under a canopy by the water, you know, on some island where I'm like hiding and... It's interesting how race plays into it. Like, it's so interesting how there was something about China where, like, just looking, being different from people, look, looking different than people, like the loneliness of not looking like the other people really fucking gave me something. There was a very, very comfortable weakness there. I mean, we, invisibility, that really is about my weakness. Like, I was not strong enough to be a visible object. I wonder like, <sighs> wonder what I would have been. Like if I had just, if I just randomly, I don't know. I wonder how I would have felt as a woman. And it's, it's very, like it's a very impossible question because, but I just wonder like, women are not, women are in many ways allowed only to be viewable objects. And somehow, all of this works, it feels like it works very different for women. Like women, women have less of a thing of running away. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, we should review a sparkling water, right? We should review a sparkling water. So the first one here, uh, the brand is Revive. So we're doing three citrus. This one is pineapple lime. Revive is a probiotic seltzer made with real fruit. Billions of live probiotics. Yeah, it smells like pineapple. That smells like good as fuck, dude. Oh, God. I love pineapple. Yeah. That is very nice. That is very nice. And it's, um, it's strange, you know? 
the probiotic thing, it, it gives it a really bready, yeasty, brioche, um, buttery quality. Like it's, it's 40% pineapple, really fresh pineapple and 40% lime, really uh, zest lime. And then 20% is this, it's this weird um, breadiness that's, I don't know, it's bready and it's yogurty. It's like a it's like if you had something, man, that is a weird part of human nutrition. When you're, if you're ever given something that's like right in between yogurt and bread, where it's like, is this bread and it's kind of soupy? It's like bread, but you can kind of like scoop up a scoop of it. <laughs> you guys ever dealt with anything like that? It's kind of like you hang out with some weird mountain people that have been eating the same shit for like 7,000 years. And it's like, yeah, we never figured out how to make an oven. So it doesn't really get hot enough to be a bread. And it's like full of bacteria. So it's also kind of like, and we just sort of like add milk on top. You guys ever been there? You, you guys ever stuck a hand, just scooped out a fistful of fucking bread yogurt? That's what this really is reminding me of. Uh, and that's obviously an 8 out of 10. Yeah, that's that's an eight out of ten for reals, dude. Okay. Anyway, um, here's the thing that happened to me, right? So I've been hanging out with this girl. I'm not gonna say her name because um, then I have to bleep it out again because she is she thinks of herself the way her narcissism plays out is some witness protection program identity. Like she thinks people give a shit about her secrets, but maybe that's. <laughs> Maybe that's me <laughs> throwing stones in a glass house, you know? You think people are looking at you, dude? Oh, my God. That's the most ridiculous thing. Okay, so let's criticize others and learn from it. Let's criticize others and learn about ourselves in the process. So um, I'm hanging out with the girl. I don't know how to explain this story because I kind of have to, like, give you a bunch of background for the story to make sense. But anyway... Sometimes we hang out at her house. We only hang out there a little bit. I've never slept there. Um, I'm rarely there for more than like 30 to 45 minutes, but it's like very close to my work. So I, I'll go over there after work a lot. Um, we have like barely ever had sex at her house. That's a little bit relevant to the story, but <sighs> yeah, here's what happened. Um, she lives with like four people or something. It's like, yeah. So I'm sitting on the porch alone, a big deck outside of the house. It's a deck that could hold like 30 people. It's a big deck. And then all the windows are open and stuff so I can hear what they're talking about inside of the house. But I'm just sitting there chilling and I'm kind of on my phone and I have a water and I might even have a bowl of ice cream. I can't even remember. But so I'm sitting there and I'm listening to them and there's a lot of people that live in this house. And there's a lot, of, they have like, these different companies that they're trying to start with different friends working for the companies that will like come in for a few days and stay there. And um, there will be, a, it's like this, it, it's a very organic, like sometimes it's just full of people because it's this, it has this cute little startup incubator vibe where it's like, yeah, you know, we're like doing the startup thing and we're young and these are the dog years. So I'll sleep on the floor, you know, I'll sleep on the floor if it means I can be a, a fucking tech bro millionaire and when I when I turn before I turn 30. You know, 30 under 30. So there's a lot of people that stay there. And at this point there's like five people in the kitchen and I can hear them talking. And someone goes, 
hey, whose underwear are these on the floor in the middle of the kitchen? And they're asking each other. And then the girl that I hang out with, she walks through the kitchen and they ask her like, hey, whose underwear are those? And she's like, yeah, they're not my underwear. And they're all talking about whose underwear are these. And I'm sitting on the porch listening to them and I'm like, bro, how stupid are you guys that you don't know whose underwear it is? Like, you guys are so fucking embarrassing. (laughs) The fact that there's random underwear on the floor in you guys' kitchen, like, I'm judging them so hard. Like, these people are... These people do not have their shit together, and these people are, like, deeply embarrassing. And yes, I know they're only, like, 24 or 25 or 26, but still, to be that much of a mess that you have, there's underwear on the floor in the middle of the kitchen that you don't know who it is, it's, like, unforgivable in how embarrassing it is. And I'm sitting there alone on the porch just listening to them, and they're all, like, debating it and being like, but could they be, and could they be, and they're, like, bringing up different candidates that could be the owners of the underwear, but no one recognizes these underwear, right? <laughs> and then, and then, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then the girl comes out on the porch, and she's like, oh, dude, your underwear was on the floor, I'm sorry. And it's like, bro, they were my underwear. And here's the thing. I wasn't wearing them. It's because she comes over to my house and sleeps at my house sometimes. But she's such a poor planner that she doesn't bring any clothes. So I give her like, and I want to be a good host. So I'm like, hey, you want you can sleep here if you want to. You want a toothbrush? You can have a toothbrush if you want to. And it's like, you can take a shower if you want to the next day. You want to take a shower? We go to the river. We come back from the river. And I'm like, you want to take a shower? And she's like, no, I don't have other clothes. And I'm like, you want to borrow a whole set of clothes here? You want to borrow shorts and underwear and a t-shirt? Like, it's cool. Like, I don't mind. I, I'm, you know, I have everything here. I'm not one of these guys with one towel. I'm not one of these guys who's like, I have two towels. Because they, they ripped one towel in half. That's not two towels, Connor. You only have one towel, Connor. I'm not one of these guys. I have like 10 towels. Like My shit's sorted out. I have a linen closet, bro. So she stayed at my house, and I gave her a pair of boxer briefs because there's a weird Venn diagram thing with boxer briefs where like the way butts and gender intersect, it's like um, I usually have the same boxer brief size as whatever girl I'm spending time with or whatever because girls have bigger butts but they're shorter like i'm tall but i have a little boy butt and girls are shorter and they have big butts and so there's a big intersection there or the intersection there's some overlap there so i gave her a pair of boxer briefs my only pair of boxer briefs boxer briefs are like boxer briefs are tough dude because it's like boxer briefs are the least cool underwear that like really, really gross ancient men who are about to die in memory care facilities wear. They wear briefs, like white briefs. Oh, I think I'm using the word wrong. I think it's just briefs, not boxer briefs, just briefs. I gave her a pair of briefs. And the whole thing I was talking about, what I'm saying is they're briefs, old school kind of briefs. And they're bright blue and they're like colorful. And so I gave her those to wear. And then... um. Yeah, they're tough because 
they are the underwear of choice. Briefs are the underwear of choice for the least attractive people in society. But there's a weird thing of like, it's actually a circle where the most, it's something about how they are ugly. Like if you're just good looking enough, you might be able to pull off. Like it's how if you wear the ugliest clothing and everyone looks at you and you're like, well, that person is just really hot. So they make this these ugly clothes hot. Like that is the most powerful move to to go ugly and to still be good looking. That is the most rub it in your face how good looking you are move. So like it's cool to have one pair of briefs in the mix to just be like when you feel really good looking, you put them on and you're like, uh, toying with the idea of that you're pulling it off. That's <laughs> so stupid. I should be so embarrassed, and I am. Can we just... I am. And so there were briefs, you know? So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So she borrowed, like, an entire fucking outfit from me, including underwear. And then she goes to her house, and, you know, I go to my house, and I just don't... I don't care. So she just kept it for like a long ass time. And and then she eventually did laundry and washed all my clothes that she had borrowed from me. And then she made a neat little pile and then she gave it back to me. And when she carried it from the bedroom where she had made a neat little pile of all the things that belonged to me and carried it to me on the porch where she was returning all these clothes that she borrowed from me by wearing them, she dropped the briefs halfway through the walk, and she dropped the briefs on the kitchen floor. And it triggered this, like, uh, yeah. It triggered the whole conversation of them talking to each other about, like, whose fucking underwear are these? Yeah, and uh, they were my underwear. And it's like, it was so, like, I had done so much judging of them in my head before it was revealed that they were my underwear that I couldn't even process how embarrassed I should be so that I wasn't even embarrassed. Like, the embarrassment, like, exited the atmosphere and went so far deep into black space beyond the Earth's gravitational pull that, like, I could no longer, it didn't feel like there was any context to it. It was just so beyond anything that I just didn't even care. And I was like, oh, great. You threw my underwear on the floor in the kitchen and they're briefs. And it's, yeah, I didn't say they were briefs because then it's like, yeah, imagine explaining, imagine going into the kitchen and explaining the whole thing about briefs and being like, okay, so just so you know, like, I don't usually wear briefs because I know I'm not good looking enough to do that. And also, just so you know, like, I understand that I'm like 10 years older than some people in this room, but um, I'm also not like an ancient old man dying. Like this, I'm not part of like end of life care. I'm not dying from dementia and, and um Yeah. You know, are you following me? Like, that would make it worse to try to explain and be like, this is just like my one pair because it's cool to have like one pair of briefs in the mix to just sort of try it out every once in a while to see if you can pull it off and to realize that you can't. But then it's cool to have them because it's actually funny how I can wear them sometimes when I'm low on laundry, but also I can lend them to girls because they actually have the same. Now that I'm saying this out loud, I'm realizing that the exact same pair of briefs have actually been borrowed by like pfft. yeah i don't know i don't know is that is that why is that bad why is it bad if it's if the number is like eight different girls have borrowed the same pair of briefs you know the sisterhood of the traveling boxer briefs 
sisterhood of the of the traveling traveling dildo. Uh, what was that thing I was saying? Sisterhood of the traveling. Anyway, I had a funny expression about that one time, but. Anyway, it wasn't workplace appropriate, so I couldn't reuse the joke enough, and then I lost it because it was, it had to be filed away. Sometimes you think of a joke, but it's so fucking problematic that you have to file it away in a box, inside of a box, inside of a box, inside of a box, so deep down in your mind for such a rare opportunity that you just don't even remember it anymore because it's so rare that there's an opportunity where you can use it, so it's gone. You know, God, I, w- I would love to read my own book of the jokes I've forgotten because they were so problematic that I waited too long to get to the point where I found that rare um, moment when it was appropriate to use it. Yeah, so I lost it. We've lost many things. I, look, bro, we've lost it all. I lose everything all the time because I leave and I don't bring anything. I just bring, oh, Jesus, I almost dropped the sparkling water on the floor. I only bring what's in my brain. So my brain is like full of all these different places and stuff and people, people that have hated me. My brain is full of old places where I have lived and all the people in those places who might hate me. That's, that's what the landscape in my mind is. That's what the landscape in my mind is littered with, littered, absolutely littered. So let's drink this wildly simple Field Day, the brand is Field Day, zero calorie, orange flavored sparkling water. Field Day orange. I remember a long time ago when I started the pod, like the first 20 episodes had a bunch of different Field Day. And then that fell off. It's like organic. Oh yeah, that's what it is. I think it's organic and I used to live across from PCC, is that what it was called? Community Co-op, P, P Public Community Co-op. I don't know what the PCC stood for, but it was, I lived across the street from like a fancy organic store, big grocery store. So that's how the pod started. It started with all those organic waters. And then I was back at Briar Patch yesterday. So here we go. Okay. Doesn't smell like anything. Ooh, that's nice. That's nice because that is gentle. That is so gentle. This is watery AF. Oh, that's nice. It's like going, it's like instead of being face to face with someone and speaking to them, instead it's like holding hands with them and walking next to them and facing the outside world. And the outside world is sparkling water. And the person you're speaking with is the orange. And it's like, instead of the orange is right in your face and he's talking and I'm talking, we're just sort of holding hands, going through the world together. It's me and the orange traveling through a world of sparkling water together, you know? An underwater sparkling adventure, you know? Or not adventure. It's actually just a walk around the block. You know, we're just walking. We're just going for a walk and we're, we enjoy each other's company. And uh, God, it's like that. I, I was reading about this thing on the internet. And when I say I was reading about it, I mean, I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw a picture of it. And it was literally described to me in pictures. But f- to save a little bit of my own dignity, I will refer to it as reading. <laughs> Sorry, I did an orange burp there. My buddy Orange making me burp. Um, 
there's this thing, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's called something with like parallel simultaneous play where it's like you hang out and you don't talk, but you both play and you're next to each other. And it's like this introvert way of spending time together where you're like, you want to be not completely alone, but you also don't have enough of you to give to another person. So you, what is that language? Is that introvert language of saying that being social is to give of yourself? Like, I don't think introvert, I don't think extroverts would adopt that language. I don't know that that language makes sense to an extrovert. The idea that like spending, being in the same room as someone is to be slowly, slowly sifted away from yourself, to be slowly, slowly sucked dry until there is so little, like there is so little of me left right now. There is almost nothing left. I just need to find a new job where I can do simultaneous parallel play with people, you know? Like we just sit on up opposite ends of the couch just masturbating. Two different webcams, two different OnlyFans. But we do it like in the same room so you don't feel so alone. Two different OnlyFans um, opposing ed- ends of the couch furiously masturbating for hours. Because I think that's what you got to do if you want to make it profitable. It needs to be like very draining. You need to put the hours in. Anyway. Okay, so here's another thing. Here's another story from the big deck at the house with the girl. So uh, I'm not using the girl's name because she thinks of herself as being in the witness protection program. But then she has this friend, right? Her name is Kylie Erickson. And Kylie Erickson actually um, handed in... uh, Can I say that? Never mind. Maybe I can't say that because it might be legally iffy, but... (laughs) Anyway, so Kylie Erickson was side-talking. We're all hanging out on the deck. There's like eight people on the deck. And people are saying shit about like fucking being a Grubhub driver or whatever and if it's a good gig or not. And you get to drive in your own car and you get to smoke weed the whole time or whatever. And then Kylie Erickson tells the girl about how she was a Grubhub driver once and she picked up an order from five guys And she was delivering it and she was so hungry that she ate some of the french fries and then just closed it back up and delivered it and pretended like nothing. And then the girl thought that was funny, so she tells the group about it. And then Kylie Erickson immediately gets really angry that the girl told the group. And I thought the only funny... I thought the fun... I thought that it became a lot funnier because of her losing control of her own story and it being told to a bigger audience than she intended. And so I thought I should tell it here to see if I would think that it would be funny to tell it to an even bigger audience. <sighs> Importantly, using her first name and her last name. And I'm I'm actually feeling like it's not that funny. I'm feeling like it's not that funny, but that's okay. You know, you don't know it. You don't know it until you know, you know? You don't know it until you know. So let's review the third water here. The third water is also a citrus. All three are citrus. It's field day. It's grapefruit flavored sparkling water. Crisp and refreshing. Let's smell it. Okay, so as I'm cracking this open, I'm realizing that I need it. I should have checked if I've already reviewed this because I'm 
now almost 100% sure that I've reviewed it before. Let's smell it. Smells like nothing. Let's taste it. Yeah. Not as good as LaCroix. Oh, now this is interesting. I probably reviewed this in one of the, maybe one of the first two episodes, because the first two episodes were Pomple Moose, Pomple 1 and Pomple 2. Oh, yeah, I did so many Pomples. Pomple 3, Pomple 4. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what score I gave this. I probably gave this a good score because I was a young, naive lad, but I should have given it a six. Because that's like a, it's actually um like a red, it's a, it tastes like not the most common color of grapefruit. Because there's a couple of different colors of grapefruit. And it tastes like a weird, like, like the white one or something. Like you open a grapefruit and the flesh is white. Like, my God, is there anything more disappointing than thinking that you're dealing with a, a good grapefruit and then you cut it open and it's like, oh, this is one of those weird blonde ones? Fucking blonde grapefruit? Yeah. Let's just check in and see if there was something else. Yeah. I'm too introverted for this shit, dude. I can't live my own life anymore. There's so little of me left. I need to just let go of a lot of things. I need to let go of my fear of people hating me. People don't hate me. People don't even think about me. And then some people appreciate me, and and it's nice. Anyway, I think I got to go now. I love you guys, and thank you for listening, and end in nothing. And that's it. Like, and dot, 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 slut. As, as, (laughs) you know, as a Swedish person, once a month, someone said, (laughs) sends me that, um, (laughs) once a month, someone sends me that video of, uh, the end, the end of Finding Dory, but like the Swedish version where she says something like Finding Dory, like she's so sad or something. And then she's like, yeah, you know, I, it was quite an adventure, wasn't it? And then it just like slowly, slowly zooms out and she's like under like a sea anemone or something. And it's like the ocean and the waves are going and it's like the, the light, the underwater light playing against the blue surfaces. And then the word slut just shows up. And it's like, it's like the movie's calling her a slut, calling Finding Dory a slut. But that's just how you say the end in Swedish. And um, once a month, someone sends me that video. And every time I see it, I manage a little bit more to view it through the eyes of the person sending it to me, which is the eyes of like someone who reads it in English. Because still, I am a Swede. And... I just, it's, it means the end, you know, like what I see is the end. And, but each time a little bit more, I feel it. I feel the comedy of it's finding Dory. She's real sort of wistful about how the adventure is over and it zooms out and slut and it just says slut and how that's funny. And the caption in the Twitter that like filmed it or whatever, it's like, yeah, this is the best cinematic moment ever. But um, yeah, you know, the other patriotic Swedish thing is like, I watched a soccer game. Like I watched the, I actually watched it. 
where it started at midnight. I go on the internet. I figure out how to stream it. I start a free trial with some sort of streaming service that does sports. And I get it on my TV. And I actually put the Sweden-Japan game on my TV right as it starts. And I watch the entire 90 minutes. And it's like thrilling. It's thrilling. And I haven't watched sports for 20 years. And, and I do think that there's like something healthy about these normal things of just like give a shit about something give a shit about something feel like you're a part of something be under a banner together with other other people associate yourself with a group of people and feel like you are with those people be a swedish person just fucking stop running away from everything and being counter everything you know the backlash to the backlash to the thing that just begun. Just give up. That doesn't apply here. But just stop. Stop being like that. And just be a Swedish dude. And watch a soccer game with some women against a team of Japanese ladies. Who, And as I'm watching it, I'm like, <laughs> it's funny because after the fact, I listened to some podcasts about just the history of soccer, women's soccer, women's soccer in America. Like women's soccer wasn't even a thing. It was like illegal until the 70s, which is like, what? The the Women's World Cup is only from the 90s. Like 1991 was the first one, uh, sexist. And then the US always was, they were the best. And then we beat them. Sweden beat them. Spoiler alert. End of an era, Sweden. Um, very funny that Donald Trump said that they lost because of how woke they are, which is like, <laughs> you realize they le- they were lost to Sweden. Uh, Donald, do you know what's more woke than a than an American lesbian? A a Swedish lesbian, <laughs> like like bro. Yeah. Anyway, um, I I was watching the game and. And while watching it, I'm looking at these Japanese players and I'm like asking myself, like, is women's soccer a big lesbian thing? And then afterwards I realized, yeah, it was. It was. Spoiler alert. Women's soccer is a big lesbian thing. I I wasn't keeping track enough to know. Yeah. Anyway, um, you know, I watched just like a highlights reel on YouTube of Sweden beating the US and I cried. I cried. It was such a weird, shitty win. It was such a weird, shitty win. But like the moment it is clear, the, the very second when it's like called that the the goal happened during penalty kicks and and that Sweden won, it's like, it's just tears down my fucking stupid face right away. Just tears. And then I just cry and I watch them run and cry. And then I just watch it again. And it's like, the moment it happens again, just tears again. Just tears just rolling down my stupid face. Incredible. Anyway, um, thank you for listening, guys. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know what's going on. It's fine. I, I don't get it. But uh, we're going to be all right. I love you guys. <laughs>